Future Pulse, Patients First, investigating innovative cardiovascular research with a patient-oriented clinical outcome focus. I'm Dr. Thomas Nero, clinical and interventional cardiologist and director of cardiovascular research at CAFC. Good afternoon. This is Dr. Thomas Nero, and welcome to Patient Pulse. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Michael Gibson. Dr. Gibson is an interventional cardiologist, a cardiovascular researcher, and educator. He is the CEO of the BAME Research Institute at Harvard Medical School. He has authored thousands of papers and has led clinical trials in interventional cardiology, preventive cardiology, in antiplatelets, antithrombotics, in statins, in devices. Uh, There's almost no part of modern cardiology that Dr. Gibson hasn't touched. In addition, he is the founder of Wikidocs uh, and is an accomplished painter. Um, I'm not sure that there's anything that he can't do. Uh, and I just want to uh, thank him for taking some time to speak with us today. Well, thanks for having me. So today we're going to be talking a little bit about the current therapies that we have for both atrial fibrillation and also for therapy directly after stent placement. Uh, what these two have in common is that they both increase the risk of bleeding. And there's a new class of medication that you are studying called factor 11A inhibitors, uh, which decrease the risk of bleeding. Can you sort of give us a quick background into how we got to utilizing factor 11A inhibitors and how they were uh, initially discovered? Yeah, I think when people come into the hospital, they're used to getting some IV drugs that work on the bloodstream called anticoagulants. And those have been shown to be very effective in preventing strokes and heart attacks in the hospital. So it just makes sense that once you leave the hospital, why not continue that? Believe it or not, we hadn't really been doing a lot of that uh, in the course of, of cardiology history. We stopped a lot of the anticoagulants when people left the hospital. Now, the exception is someone who has atrial fibrillation, or AF. Uh, this is the regular beating of the heart that puts you at risk of blood clots and strokes. So <clears throat> what we're learning, though, is we have safer alternatives now to old medicines like Coumadin. Many people out there on warfarin or Coumadin getting their blood thinning checked with INRs. You know, you got to come in and get it checked and alter your dose and, oh, you can't eat salad and you get some bleeding. We have had one class of drugs come along called factor 10 inhibitors that turned out to be safer than warfarin, uh, particularly with the bleeding that we fear the most, and that's bleeding into the brain. And this class of drugs reduced the bleeding into the brain about half. Uh, and when you look at all the class altogether, ended up being safer uh, than warfarin in terms of living and dying. So there was a mortality reduction. So it was a good advance. We were really happy with that. Uh, but now we have what we think will be an even safer approach to this. And this is with this group of drugs called factor 11 inhibitors. And what they do is they prevent the bad clots from forming inside your blood vessels, but allow the good clots that prevent you from bleeding to death to form. So they tip the balance there in favor of good clotting over bad clotting. And they seem to be as effective as some of our other strategies in preventing some of the bad clots. So we're very excited. We think we may have something even safer. So currently, after someone comes in with a heart attack, we're using dual antiplatelet therapy. 
including usually aspirin and clopidogrel or aspirin and berlenta. We'll do that for one to 12 months, depending on uh, the presentation. Um, and after that, we're often switching over to single therapy um, and sometimes using uh, what's called what we re- like to refer to as vascular dose Xarelto, uh, which is a low dose rivaroxaban, which may decrease uh, long term cardiovascular events. Where do you see this going? Because the problem is with all these drugs is that they increase bleeding. And uh, as we had discussed uh, previously, that one of the problems with what we do is that when we're trying to prevent something from happening in the future, uh, what we're going to see is only when we're wrong, either an increased or either a bleeding event, or if we stop things early, a thrombotic event. Yeah. One of the problems is everyone says, well, none of my patients have recurrent heart attacks or recurrent strokes. You know, those must be somewhere else. Um, you know, our patients are having events, if we're honest. So there is a big unmet need there. What we do see is bleeding. You know, some will come in and say, well, I've had some nosebleeds or gum bleeding. And, you know, we view that as our fault, you know, as cardiologists, and we don't want to be blamed for that. So we tend to be risk adverse. We don't want people to bleed, uh, you know, and we get no, we don't get as much credit for preventing the heart attack or stroke. So we have largely, though, ignored one half of the blood clotting system. I like to look at it like Tinker Toys. Uh, Maybe I'm just an old person, but hopefully everyone knows what a Tinker Toy is. Maybe not. But, you know, these round things and into the round things, you stick these these, uh, pegs that connect to another round thing, another Tinker Toy. The platelet side of things, we're attacking it with two drugs. We're attacking with aspirin and clopidogrel. That's the kind of round thingy with the holes. But we have never really attacked the connectors. And what we learn is those connectors, fancy word thrombin, makes your platelet or the tinker toy thing very angry. It's almost as though it makes more holes or connector things in the platelet. So currently, aspirin and clopidogrel or ticagrelor, they don't do anything to block those connectors and to block them from making your platelets really angry. That's why a lot of us have hope that by inhibiting both the platelet and the other side of the pathway, the thrombin side, in other words, blocking the round uh, tinker toy thing as well as the connector, both of them, we will have a better success. Now, people are nervous that people will bleed, but what we've seen with this new class of drugs is that it's safe. It's not going to cause as much bleeding as maybe some of the first tries. So currently for your clinic and your patients, how long are you continuing them on dual antiplatelet therapy? And after you've, after you've ended the dual antiplatelet therapy, are you choosing one form of antiplatelet or are you going over to a combination antiplatelet factor 10 inhibition currently? And what are, your, what are our hopes in the future? I, I think I know the answer to that second question. but. Um, well, every patient's different, and if your patient talk to your doctor, not to me, um, this is not medical advice, but I would say, in general, I try and balance the risk of bleeding with the risk of having a clotting event. I try and go as short as I can you know, on the antiplatelets uh, to minimize the bleeding if someone is at high bleeding risk. So if they're really high risk of bleeding, I'll give them a, a month of the two together. 
and then only give one. And what I tend to do these days more and more is give clopidogrel uh, or Plavix or Ticagalor or Berlinta, those are the names of them, give them alone. Aspirin can cause stomach problems and bleeding from your stomach. So I've begun to switch over to the other ones for chronic therapy. Now, if you're someone, though, who's at less bleeding risk and higher risk of a clot, and if you have a lot of stents in or you have a stent in a very delicate location like your main artery, or if you have a bunch of stents in an intersection in your artery, I will use both the drugs out all the way to 12 months. And I'll also consider at a certain point the addition of what you said, low-dose rivaroxaban, you know, in those patients. Now, particularly if they have atrial fibrillation. Uh, I do have to say that rivaroxaban is not approved uh, by the FDA for use in the United States, uh, but is approved uh, elsewhere for treatment of acute coronary syndrome. Rivaroxaban is approved, uh, though, for chronic therapy. Chronic therapy. So part of the chronic therapy uh, in patients, if they are at high risk, could be to add that low-dose rivaroxaban. The future will probably be, um, if we're successful studying the factor 11 inhibitors, the son or daughter of rivaroxaban will be safer and may represent a viable alternative. The other place that we're looking at these medications is in atrial fibrillation. A lot of our patients have wanted to move off from warfarin or coumadin or chronic atrial fibrillation over to the direct oral anticoagulants, the factor 10 inhibitors. I think that this new group, uh, since it has have such a significantly decreased risk of bleeding, will have an even better outcome than the current factor 10 inhibitors. Do you want to go over a little bit about where you see uh, the current role of factor 10 inhibitors and what we can expect with the new class of medications? Yeah, in atrial fibrillation in particular, uh, for many decades, we've used warfarin or Coumadin. And, um, you know, it has been moderately effective. The problem is you have to come in and get monitored. You have to come and get your blood tested and get your dose adjusted. And there's a lot of collisions with your food. The factor 10 inhibitors represented an advance, like Rivaroxaban and Pixaban, by reducing your risk of stroke in half or your bleeding stroke risk in half. And that was quite a good advance. But now with the new factor 11 inhibitors, we'll probably have an even safer drug. Uh, You know, one of the things people dread the most is a bleeding stroke uh, that can leave you disabled. Those are more dangerous, some of the most dangerous types of strokes we have. So our hope is that this new class of drugs, the factor 11 inhibitors, will be even more safe and will have even fewer cases of those bleeding strokes. Yeah, one of the problems we have right now is the cost of the medications, and they're not insignificant. But when a patient has to present to, you know, to pay for these drugs, what we're not including in that cost is the benefit of the decreased risk of bleeding. And we already have decreased the bleeding over warfarin by 50%. And if we can decrease it another 50 plus percent with these, it, you know, they really almost pay for themselves Unfortunately, there is an issue with how we pay for medications and you know, the, the cost of all these things going out, which I think is beyond the scope of this conversation today. Uh, but clearly, there's, there is a plus side to all of this as, we be, as we're moving forward. 
yeah, I, I did a cost effectiveness analysis quite a long time ago, and I was dumbfounded by the cost of a uh, hemorrhagic stroke. I mean, the person often ends up institutionalized at an enormous, enormous cost to society, an enormous personal cost to the family. Let's not even get into the quality of life issue, what the cost of that is. So, yes, it is pain. You know, now that I'm a now I'm at a certain age, paying for all those copays, I get the pain. But boy, um, I got to tell you, this is a stroke is nothing to mess around with. Probably worth the price. And as you said uh, a number of times before, when you're when we're doing these clinical trials and when we're treating you know these with these drugs and thinking about these drugs, there's a patient on the other end of that. And it's really about making their lives better, hopefully also making their lives longer. But I do think that the quality of life uh, is going to be an important piece with all this. Well, what I always say is we want to add years to people's lives, but we also want to add life to those years. So anything that minimizes testing and the need to come back in and get your dose adjusted that makes your life simpler and keeps you out of the hospital. That's big. You know, the two, the biggest measure I think of success is, are you alive and out of the hospital? That's what we really care about. Yeah, and I think you could add to that just the the decreased worry of those bleeding events. You know, one of the mm-hmm. one of the benefits of putting in Watchmans currently is that they don't have to worry about bleeding and falling and and these other issues. Um, and I'm hoping that once we uh, move forward with the Factor 11 inhibitors that the decreased risk of bleeding there is so profound that we say, start on this medication, you're going to be fine. We have a lot less to worry about. Exactly. I agree. Well, thank you again for uh, taking your time today. Uh, I want to be respectful of the amount that that you've given us already. And I hope that uh, we can uh, meet again and discuss these things again in the future. Well, thanks for having me. This is a lot of fun.